Heavenly Father, we bow in your presence and we praise you. We thank you, Father, for the privilege of coming together. Lord, I pray that as we move ahead in this service, that as we look into your word, that, Lord, you would open it up to us and that we would be blessed for having been here. Lord, I pray for the events of the day, the hamburger lunch. I pray, though, Lord, that it's a great fundraiser for the kids, and we pray your blessings on them. Thank you again, Lord, for this privilege you give us. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you all be seated? You know, my son, Brian, he texted me uh, this past week and with pictures of his yard. Now, he's gone and bought flowers already, and I hate to tell him, you know, it might get cold and kill him, but I didn't want to rain on his parade. So anyway, he, uh, he, he the caption was this. He had all these pictures of these flowers in his yard. He's already planted them, and it, the caption was, I couldn't wait. And so maybe you're feeling that way too. I know I am. Springtime's here, and I'm ready to plant something. Now, he's getting prepared. He gave me all the details of, of what he's going to do, when he's going to do it, and all the projects that he has to do around the house. And, you know, if anything's going to get done, no matter what it is, you've got to be prepared. You've got to have a plan. You've got to put something in action. And the same thing is true with prayer. When it comes to our prayer lives, there has to be some sort of preparation. There has to be some planning ahead. Now, there are times when you're going to pray on the spur of the moment when there's an emergency. You know, your pants are on fire. There's an emergency. Something's got to be prayed for now. And and that's perfectly legitimate. That's, that's perfectly fine to be doing it that way. But there's a need for a daily routine. There's a need for us to have a routine where we pray daily when it's not an emergency, but there are things that we need to, to be doing and things that we need to include in our prayers. Prayer needs to be balanced. It can't be one-sided. And this is important because without balance, and I think this is true of everything, without balance we usually gravitate to the things that we enjoy the most. And we ignore the things that maybe we need to do, but we just don't like them. And I think that's true with prayer. If we are not balanced, we usually will do the things and we like. Our prayers will be brief. We'll move on to something else in life. And um, and so there has to be that balance. We also fall into the trap of the please God trap. You know, please God, fix this. Please God, do something. Please God, help me. <clears throat> There's nothing wrong with that, and we're going to be talking about that today. But if that's the only thing that your prayer life consists of, then it's pretty much an unhealthy prayer life. Not that that isn't important, because it is. But there's so much more to prayer that we need to be aware of and that we need to be including in our prayers. Now, last week I asked you to do something. I asked you to listen to yourself pray. I asked you to, as you are praying this week, just listen to what you're saying and see if you can't realize that sometimes you just get stuck in a rut. You say the same things over and over. Or maybe you're not there very long. You know, you get bored real easy and you're off to something else. And hopefully, as you uh, listen to yourself, you realize that maybe you were just in the asking stage and that's what your prayer life consisted of. That's all there was to it. Or maybe you were in a hurry and you found that your prayers lasted about 60 seconds and you were already losing your train of thought already bored with it and already moving on to something else. Um, hopefully, if that's the case, then you're ready to do something different. Now, prayer, and we've talked about this before as we began this study in prayer, that prayer is a process. 
you know, we often focus on the end result. I'm going to pray for something because there's a need and, you know, I want to see something happen. But God is interested in that process. He's interested in us coming to him. And usually the need is what drives us to him. And as we come to him, God intends for us to spend time there. And as we're there, God intends to speak to us. He intends to guide us. He intends to change the way we think. There's very few times in life that can ever take place, if not when we're there at his feet in prayer. And so I say that to you because I want to reemphasize the fact that there's so much more to prayer than just going and asking God for things like we so often do. And for a lot of us, we don't pray until somebody asks us to. Will you please pray for me about this? And we say, okay, I'll pray for you. We'll throw up a prayer to heaven. Um, but, but that's a, a very limited view of prayer in a very unhealthy prayer life because we are shortcutting, if you will, the process. And it's that process that's so important. People often ask me when it comes to prayer, and I'm trying to help people learn how to pray, they'll, they'll ask questions like this. Pastor, how long do I have to pray? You know, how long do I have to pray? That's a dead giveaway right there, isn't it? Okay, how long do I have to do this? Um, and, and there's no set time. I'm not here to, to, to set a time for you. It's, it's just the time that you spend with God. And, um, you know, if you're just getting started, maybe that's not very long. Um, if not, then maybe your prayer time is lengthened to be something more than what it used to be. The next question they ask is, well, what do I say? You know, some people are very uncomfortable with prayer. They're not used to it. It's something new to them. And their question is, okay, there's the amount of time, but also, well, what do I say? What's included in this prayer and how should I be praying? So today, here's what we're going to be doing. I want us to learn how to pray. Now, like you said, like I said earlier, many of us know how to do that already, but think of it as a refresher course and think of it for some of you, it's going to be new material or something that you need to know. But I also want us to begin to practice the process of prayer, the process, okay, the whole thing, spending time quietly, not being in a rush, setting aside that time for prayer, and including in that prayer time the things that I believe that God would have us to include in a healthy prayer time, that intimate time with God daily. We set aside some time, and again, it's whatever you can give. And what you're going to find, hopefully, that as you get into it, the time will probably get longer. But that's okay. You just begin where you can. Now, remember, there are no magical words. There's no secret to prayer. A lot of times we've seen books written on this, the secret to prayer. There's no secret, okay? There really isn't. But there are in Scripture some patterns, some guidelines, a template. Think of it as a template that if we will begin to practice this, then our prayers will become healthy and balanced. And, and that's what I'm after here. I want you to see beyond just asking for things. I want you to see the importance of entering into that special time and that process. Now, if you're here with us last week, we were looking in this passage. We're going to go back to it again today. But we talked about in last week about the importance of setting a time that you pray. It could be a, spec- a specific time every day. Um, it may be something that you have to fit into your schedule. It may be odd times, whatever, but set a time. And we also talked about last week the place where you pray. There needs to be a special place where this is where you go to pray. Now, that doesn't mean every time. I've already told you that. But there needs to be a set time and place that you're going to go to on a regular basis. 
to spend time and to be alone with God where you speak and you listen also. And so this is very important. I believe with all my heart that it will make a tremendous difference in your life. It really will. People that I've talked to over the years, they say, Pastor, I got into this praying and I began to take it seriously. And I can't begin to tell you what a difference this made in my life. My spiritual walk has just grown. It's changed over the years. And I really believe that that is true for all of us. Now, there are three elements to healthy, balanced prayer. Three elements that you want to include. And we're going to talk about this today. We're going to be looking back now at this passage in Matthew chapter 6. It's called or referred to as the Lord's Prayer. It's something that probably you've memorized over the years. You know it well. I want to back up, if you will, include a couple of the verses we used last week. Let me read this for you. It's in Matthew chapter 6, starting with verses 7 and verse 7 running through 13. Here's what it says. Now, Jesus is talking. The, the disciples have asked him, Lord, will you teach us how to pray? They've listened to him pray. They're impressed. They want that intimacy. And so their request is very simple. Lord, teach us how to do that. And so here's what he says in verse 7. He's already talked about getting alone, finding a closet, you know, somewhere. And he says in verse 7, And when you pray, Do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Now, we talked last week about this verse, but let me just repeat it as sort of an intro. Get alone and don't just babble mindlessly, but think about what you're saying. And it's not so much that you talk a lot, but that you get to the point and you're you're talking to God and you realize that. It's not the length of your prayer that makes it special or makes it effective. And this is what Jesus is trying to get them to see. Don't think that you're going to be heard any quicker because you talk a lot. So this is an important thing. He says, don't be like them. He said, but this is the way you need to pray. Now watch this in verse 9. This then is how you should pray. Let me read this. Our Father in heaven, he says, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now I want to give you three elements that come out of there that ought to be included in our prayers. Now, guys, if, if I'm not talking about reciting this prayer, okay? I'm talking about learning from the format, the model, if you will, what he includes in this prayer. Remember, I'm teaching you guys how to do this, he says. Now, if you want to recite the Lord's Prayer, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with, with, with reciting Scripture. However, sometimes we lose the effectiveness of what it's really talking about. We just recite it mindlessly. I want you to understand what he's telling them to do. Three things in this prayer he's telling them to do. This is to be included in any healthy, balanced time of prayer. The number one thing, and and let me say this, this is in the order in which I usually pray them. Now, his that are not in this order, the order doesn't matter. But I always begin with confession. That's number one. You need to have confession included in your prayer time. Here we are in chapter 6, Matthew 6, verse 12. Look at what he says. He says, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. In other words, Lord, forgive us our sins. We've forgiven those that have sinned against us. Lord, I want you to forgive us as well. 
Now, this is probably the most neglected part of prayer. It's not something we often think of when it comes to prayer. Here's the way we normally ask for forgiveness or confess our sins. Lord, forgive me for all my sins. And we just lump them all together. And really that's a cop-out because it's not fair. We're not being forced to look at the sins. We're not being forced to admit the sins. We're just in general confessing, well, Lord, we've done things wrong. And so, Lord, just, just forgive me for everything. And that misses the point of what God's trying to get across and what he wants you and me to be involved in. God wants you and me to confess the sin specifically. He wants to hear you say what it is. Now, why is that? Well, I believe that God wants you to face it. I believe that God wants you to hear what you are doing coming out of your own mouth. There's a conviction that takes place when you speak it. There is something that just happens. It's, it's an uncomfortableness, something we don't like, embarrassment, call it whatever you want. But by doing that, God is saying to you and me, you have to face this. You have to deal with this. Now listen to this passage. It's in Psalms. Now, let me set the stage for you. Remember David, whenever David committed adultery with Bathsheba? And he had her husband killed. So David is guilty of adultery and murder and lying and hiding and, and all of these things that he's done. He's, a, he's done a lot of things. God deals with him. He disciplines David. And now David in Psalms chapter 51 is responding. He has come back in the right relationship with God, and now he is speaking. And in Psalms 51, verses 3 and five, three through 5, here's what he says. David says, For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Lord, I'm not hiding. I've admitted it. I, this is what I did. Now, can you just imagine David confessing, God, I committed adultery with this woman. Can you imagine how it must have hurt him to say that? God, I sent her husband into battle so that he would die so that I could have her for myself. Nobody wants to say that. Nobody wants to admit that. But David said, look, my transgression is right there before me. Notice what he says next. He says, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Now, did he hurt Bathsheba? Yeah. Did he hurt Uriah? Yeah. Did <laughs> Did he hurt other people? Yeah, but he recognizes that, you know what? Whatever I've done, I have broken your law. I have sinned against you. And you're the one that I need to tell this to. You're the one that I've got to get this straight with. He says, so you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. All that David had gone through because of his sin, the judgment of God on his life. He says, you know what, God? You were right in doing it. I deserved it. I realize what I've done. He says, surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. He said, Lord, I admit it. I'm sinful. Now, was David a redeemed man? Of course he was. Now, let me explain something, okay? Whenever a Christian, or I stand up here like and talk to you about on the subject of forgiveness for the believer, you need to understand the difference of what we're talking about. For an unbeliever, when they come to Christ, they are coming and they are seeking judicial forgiveness. Now, you need to understand what that means. 
They are coming to God on the basis of this. The God of the universe that I have no relationship with has condemned me as a sinner and lost and on my way to hell. And so I come to him on the basis of Calvary, what Jesus did on the cross, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for all of my sins, and I am declared righteous judicially. I will never stand before God to be judged and condemned to hell. That's what the Bible says. This is why we tell you that when you put your faith in Christ and you come to him, you are cleansed from birth to death. And you enter into, at that point, a relationship with him that really is no longer a judicial relationship. It's not a relationship between you and God Almighty anymore. It is a relationship between you to a father. The relationship described for the believer is the relationship between a father and a son or father and a daughter. I will never stand before God as a judge again, but what I will do is stand before my father. And so whenever we as Christians sin, we're not talking about salvation. We're talking about seeking forgiveness parentally. This is parental forgiveness that you're seeking. It is forgiveness to my, between me and my father. That, Lord, I've done something that has shamed you, and I realize that, and I acknowledge that, and I'm telling you, just like a father would come to his, uh, son would come to his father and admit, Dad, this is what I did. And the father isn't seeking judgment anymore. What the father is seeking is forgiveness, but he wants to hear that the son understands what he's done. And he wants him to acknowledge that. And once that is acknowledged, it's forgiven and cleansed. Now watch this verse. Listen very carefully. It's a verse that I've shared with you many times before. Let me explain it. First John 1 John 1.9. Here's the verse that John writes to Christians, to believers. He says, if we, believers, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Now watch what it says. If we as believers come to God in confession to our Father, that God is faithful. Do you realize that when you come before God and confess to him your sin, that God will never turn his back on you? God will never say, oh, no, 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 uh-uh. not again. You've been to me too many times now. He will never say that because it says that God is always faithful. And he's just. And he will forgive us our sins. But now listen to the little, little phrase at the end. He will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Uh, you need to understand the, the weight of this, okay? When I come to God... In the, confess to him whatever it is that I have done. Let's pick some of the biggest sins that we might have committed as believers. Let's like, like David. We come before God and we say, Lord, I've committed adultery. Lord, I've stolen. Lord, I've been immoral. God, I have lusted. God, I have been dishonest. God, I have not loved my wife or, or my husband the way that I should. God, I've been abusive. The list could go on and on. And the Bible says that God is faithful and forgives that sin. Now listen, that little phrase at the end, and cleanses you from all unrighteousness is very important. Because in everybody's life there's something, something that we've done or maybe something we haven't done that we should have that falls into the category of unrighteousness or sin. And we may not even remember it. 
The beauty of this verse is this, that God says, I forgive the sin that I've brought to your attention. And because of your heart that you've come to me this way in confession, I wipe the slate clean of all other unrighteousness. Baby, that's grace. That is grace. That God would forgive me when I confess it and cleanse me for things I don't even know about or remember. This is why it's so important that you do this. And whenever you come in your prayer time and you're quiet and still before God, the first thing you ought to be doing is, Lord, I need to know what it is that might be between us. Father, how have I shamed you? And just let the Spirit do His job because the Holy Spirit will start bringing to your remembrance. Boom, boom. And don't you dare lump them all together. You name them. You confess them. Realize this, I, can, I can't think offhand of a scripture where it tells you to ask for forgiveness as a Christian. You know that? What he does say is confess over and over again. We're to confess our sins. God is faithful to forgive. You just confess and trust him. But when I do, that sets the stage then for the cleansing, for all the barriers between a father and son to be removed. Here's what happens, I believe. I believe that whenever we come to God and we confess our sin and we have to admit that vocally out loud, what happens is this. We may come back day after day and confess the same sin. Eventually, what takes place is we get tired of hearing it. We get ashamed of ourselves for having to come back and we change. We change. That's why I believe confession is so important. Because I believe the humiliation of it forces us to change. You and I need to confess our sins. Don't be ashamed to do it. Don't be afraid to do it. Don't ignore it. But go to the Lord in confession. Here are some benefits of the confession. Listen, three things. Here they are. Benefits of confession. Number one, you feel cleansed. When you confess to your Father, you feel like you've been cleansed. You're clean. You feel it. Here's the second benefit. You feel relieved. You feel like a weight's been lifted off of you. Relieved. Here's the third thing that you're going to feel, the benefit. You're going to feel free to pray. You know, part of the problem with people in their prayer life and the reason they don't feel like praying is they feel ashamed and unworthy. I don't feel worthy to come before God in prayer. I don't feel worthy to ask God for anything. I don't feel worthy because I know all the sin in my life, things that I shouldn't be doing. And what you don't understand is that if you bring them to Him first in confession, you're now free to pray. And so you begin to feel that. And this is what matters. It's how you feel. It's what happens to you when you're before God. You see, it's not just praying to get it done. It's letting God do his work on you. And this takes place during prayer. So that's the first thing. Here's the second, as far as uh, the pattern for prayer, the second thing that needs to be included, and that is praise. I've lumped praise and thanksgiving together. I don't find any way you can separate the two. Every time I go into praising God, I end up thanking him. I don't really separate them. So I've just... Narrowed it down to one thing here, praise. And during that time, I'm praising him, I'm acknowledging who he is, and I'm thanking him at the same time. Let's look at this passage now, the Lord's Prayer. Matthew 6, verse 9. 
Jesus says, this then is how you should pray. And he quote, and he tells them, here's what you say. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now what is that? That's praise. He's worshiping. You're coming to God and acknowledging, Lord, my Father in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom in heaven is going to someday come here. Your kingdom in heaven, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You're acknowledging the sovereignty of God. You're praising God. Now, this is something that you and I need to include in our prayer. Praise and thanksgiving are inseparable and an integral part of prayer. Now, see, some of us don't think that's important. Why is it important that I spend all this time thanking God? What is he, some sort of an egotistical I mean, what's the deal here? Watch this, okay? It's in Luke chapter 17. It's a a story you've heard before. It's in verses 11 through 19. Listen. Now on on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. Now Samaria, as you know, is an outcast society. Half Jews, half Gentile. Jews hated them. He says, I've traveled along the border there. He said, and as he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Why were they standing at a distance? Because legally, according to the law, they could not come close. If you had leprosy, this was their quarantine method. You have to stay at a certain distance so that it is not spread. And even if people come near you, you have to yell out, I'm a leper, I'm a leper. And so here they are, they see Jesus, they've heard about him, and they cry out to him, Lord, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Now, why were they going to the priest? According to the law of Moses, only the priest could, could, could declare them clean. If they ever were to get over leprosy or to be healed, they had to go to the priest to be declared worthy of coming back into society. Now, what's interesting about this is they hadn't even been healed yet. He said, go show yourself to the priests. And I'm sure they sat there looking at themselves thinking, he's just going to kick us out, but we're going to go. And so they went. He says, as they were going, they were cleansed. All of a sudden it was gone. Now, look at this. One of them in verse 15. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back. Now, he hadn't even gone to the priest yet. He came back. Praising God in a loud voice. Praising God in a loud voice. Can you imagine this guy? He comes back to wherever Jesus is, and from the top of his lungs, he's yelling, He healed me! He healed me! Man, I'm praising you. This is God. You need to listen to him. You need to pay attention. He's praising God, from the top of his voice. In verse 16, it says that he threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Who? Not even a good Jew. A Samaritan. Now, here's what Jesus said. Here's what I want you to see. Jesus asked, were not all ten of you cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Now here's the question. 
Did God, I'll say, but did Jesus expect all of them to come and thank him? Yeah, he did. He expected all ten of them to come back and to praise God and to thank him for what he had done. Guys, God expects us to be grateful. God expects us to verbalize that. You can't see it's not enough just to say, Lord, I'm really grateful for all the things you do for me. But you and I need to, like the old song said, you need to count your blessings. You know, we look at our lives and we think to ourselves, well, you know, nothing really has happened here recently. There's not even been any miraculous answer to prayer, and God hasn't really done anything special, so I don't really have a whole lot to praise Him for. Are you kidding me? Really? You know, just thinking of who He is, of His majesty and His protection, and how He guards you, and how He provides for you behind the scenes. Your family, when you look at your family, when you look at your salvation and who you used to be, you can't think of anything to praise God for. You see, he wanted them to praise God. He wanted them to thank him. Is he some sort of an egotistical guy? No, not at all. But the father wants the children to be grateful. Who doesn't? You know, I give things to my grandchildren, and when they ignore me, I don't really want to give them anything because I feel like I'm being taken advantage of. I think God is that way to some degree. Not that God needs it, but God wants you to understand where it came from. And God wants you and me to acknowledge it. And now listen, if you lack motivation in prayer, if you're not really motivated to pray on a consistent basis, here's my suggestion. Just begin to praise him. Don't worry about anything else. But if you'll just start on a regular basis, if you just take five minutes a day and say, okay, Lord, I'm going to praise you, and you sit and you force yourself to think, you force yourself to listen, you begin to look at all the things that God has done for you, all the things that are blessings in your life, all the things that the Bible says are true of God and who he is, and you begin to speak those things, you begin to say those things. Now, folks, here's what I know to be true, that if you will do that, You can't help but to begin to pray. It's just natural. And so I believe that when we begin to list those things and begin to praise God, that we fall in love with him all over again. We just fall in love with him. And I think this is the reason why the praise is so important and why Jesus included it in this prayer pattern, if you will, for these disciples. Now, I believe this. That whenever we begin to praise him, that God becomes vividly real to all of us. I begin to force myself to praise him and to thank him and, and spend time talking to him. And all of a sudden, the things that occupy my attention in life begin to fall by the wayside. And all of a sudden, he becomes vividly real to me. Now, this is so important, okay? Let me tell you this story. It was once an elderly man, and he had had a stroke, and he didn't—he was partially paralyzed and pretty much bedridden. He began to pray on a regular basis, spend time praying. He had nothing better to do, and he would pray. He would praise God. He would—he would thank God. He would—all these things. And he began to think to himself, "You know what? 
my mind is all over the place. So he set a chair beside his bed, and he began to imagine that Jesus was sitting in the chair. And it focused his attention because he said, the Bible tells me that he is with me always. So he began to look at the chair and talk, just a conversation, just talk to the Lord. One day his grandson comes over and he's talking to his grandpa and he goes to sit in the chair. And grandpa said, no, no, don't sit in that chair. He said, Jesus sits in that chair. He said, you sit on the bed here and talk to me, Johnny. And so Johnny began to ask him, Papa, what are you talking about? And he began to tell him, you know, I, I pretend at least that he's there and it helps me. He becomes so vividly real to me. And Johnny, sometimes when I'm praying and I'm thinking about him sitting there, it is almost as if I see him. He said he has become that real to me. This goes on for months and months. And Johnny came over about every day and talked to his pawpaw. And pawpaw would tell him all the things that he'd been praying about. I'm praying for you, Johnny. I'm praying for mom and dad and grandma and all these things. And every day, you know, he points to the chair that Jesus is in his mind sitting in. One day, Johnny's grandmother calls him. She says, Johnny, your grandfather passed away last night. She said, and, you know, I've called the funeral home and they're going to be coming to get him. She said, you might want to come over here if you want to see him. So he goes, and he's very shy about going in, not wanting to see his grandpa. But he um, he goes in and looks, and there's his grandpa slumped over with his head in the chair. He had died in his mind in the lap of Jesus. Vividly real. See, guys, this is what we need. Because so many of us, the reluctancy to pray is because we're just praying out into the air. And the Lord has never become vividly real to us. I really believe with all my heart that praise and thanksgiving is one of the things that really will help him to become vividly real to you. And you say, well, I'm not sure what to say. Well, you know what? Let me give you some advice. Borrow somebody else's words until you find your own. Here's what I mean. Do you know the book of Psalms is nothing more than David's praise and thanksgiving to God? This boy, from the time he was a shepherd till the time he was king and beyond, he recorded his praise. If you don't know what to say, then go and read Psalms. Just begin to read them back to God as if they're your own, until you begin to develop your own words. Let me give you an example. Here in Psalms 19, verses 1 through 4. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day by day, or day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech, they use no words, no sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. Now David is just reflecting. Maybe he was, I'm not sure of the timeline of when he wrote this. Let's say he was a shepherd boy. Out in the night sky looking up and just acknowledging who God is. I say, man. You know, the poetic form that he uses, just describing who God was. 
God made this statement concerning David. He's a man after my own heart. I believe with all my heart that, that David pursued God in such a way that God would make that statement. You see, that's what we need to be. We need to be the kind of people that pursue God. And he is so vividly real to us that it changes the way we view him. It changes the way we live life. Praise and thanksgiving have to be an integral part of your prayer time. Very quickly, the last one is the request. We all know this one, but asking God for things. Here in this passage in Matthew 6, look at verse 11 and in verse 13. Give us today our daily bread, Jesus said. This is part of your prayer. You know what that means? It means that a person would get up in the morning and go to work, and they didn't have enough food on the table for tonight. They're saying, God, give me enough money to buy bread today. Their daily bread is what they were praying for. He said, you pray for your needs, whatever they may be. Down in verse 13, and lead us not into temptation, but to deliver us from the evil one. You need to be be praying for protection. You need to be asking God to protect you, to protect your kids, to protect your church, all of these things. Jesus said to ask. You ask for the things that you're afraid of. You bring to him your problems. You bring to him your needs. There is no limit. Now understand this. There is no limit. God doesn't say, hey, you've reached your quota for this week. You can't get anything else. God never said that. Listen to this verse. It's in James chapter 4, verse 2. James says, you desire, but do not have, so you kill. In other words, you want something, you can't get it, so you take matters into your own hands. He said, you covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. Same thing, you're taking matters into your own hands. Look at the last sentence. You do not have because you do not ask God. There's the key. You don't have because you do not ask God. Now, folks, again, we're going to talk later on about why some things happen and God seems to answer some things and not others, and I don't know the answer to that. But I can tell you this. When I get to heaven, I do not want God saying to me, you know, I would have given you that if you just asked for it. I would have done that for you, but you never asked. I don't want that to happen. And so please understand this. You be bold in your prayers. Be bold. If you need a miracle, then ask for it. Trust that God's will is going to be done, but ask. And come to God in faith, believing that God cares about you. People always ask me this. They say, well, wait a minute. If God knows what I already need, then why am I supposed to be praying about it? You know, we go back up to this verse, verse 8 here. Matthew 6, verse 8. We read it a moment ago. He says, do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask. Well, now wait a minute. If he knows what I'm needing, then why do I need to ask? And this is the deterrent for a lot of prayers. God already knows what I need. I don't need to tell him. But you're forgetting something. You're forgetting the process. It's not the fact that God already knows. It's the fact that God wants you at his feet asking. It's the fact that God wants you there with an open heart when you have your full attention toward him and you're listening and he can input into your life and straighten some things out. It's the process. Don't shortcut the process. And whenever you come before him, listen, don't be ashamed. You bring whatever. 
You bring whatever. I've heard people say to me, well, I'm not going to pray about that. That's just too big. No, you pray about it. Yourself, your family, your church, your lost friends. Guys, we need to be praying about all of these things. Three elements to prayer. Number one, the confession. Number two is the praise. And number three is the request. If you take the first letter of each one of them, you get CPR. Prayer is spiritual CPR, guys. It'll change your life. It will. But you and I have to commit to doing it. And that's where I think sometimes we lose track. We get off course here. As believers, we don't see the need. Guys, don't let that be our problem here, okay? Let's be people of prayer. Now, if you came in here this morning, and if I were to ask you this question, if you died today, what would happen to you? And you can't answer that then there's a good chance that you're lost. Because you know what? Salvation is knowing. Salvation is believing to the exclusion of everything else that Jesus died on a cross for you. It's understanding that. Let me read you this verse. It's in John chapter 11. It's verses 25 and 26. Now look at this. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Now notice what he's saying. The one who believes in me will live spiritually, even though physically they die. Well, man, what a a statement that is. And whoever lives... By believing in me, we'll never die spiritually. Eternal life, guys. It's eternal life. When you pass from this life, you go to one of two places. You're either lost or you're saved. You're either in hell or in heaven. There are, there's no in-between here. You need to make that decision now. You need to decide that. Where are you going to be? I want you to close your eyes with me for just a moment. The Bible says that whosoever believes in him will not perish. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whosoever believes in Him will not perish. If you're here this morning and you don't understand that Jesus died for you, the judge, Jesus sent His Son to take your place and the payment's been made. Believe it. Trust Him. It's that simple. And at that moment, you enter into a relationship that is no longer a judicial relationship. It is a parental relationship. And that is vastly different. Right now, you can do that. Right now, you turn to God in faith and you say, Lord, I believe. I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I've shamed you. I know that I am guilty before a sovereign God. But I believe that Jesus took my place. I believe that he died on a cross and took my sin. I believe that he paid the penalty. And I'm trusting him and save me. It's that simple. God made it that simple. Don't let the simplicity trip, trip you up, okay? The Bible says that whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And right now, if you're putting your faith in Christ, you are calling on his name. And according to the scripture, you're saved.
I want to know who you are. I want to pray for you. I'm not going to have you come up here or anything like that. You can just stay right where you are. I'm just going to ask you to slip your hand up and put it back down. Say, pray for me, Pastor. Right now, I'm deciding to put my faith in Christ. Anyone else? God bless you. Anyone else? I'm putting my faith in Jesus Christ right now. Anyone at all? Our Heavenly Father, as we bow here in your presence, Father, we are humbled by the truth of grace, truth of the gospel. Lord, we are humbled by the privilege that you give us to come before you in prayer. Lord, I pray for my church here. I pray for each one of us, including myself, that, Father, we would become people of prayer, that we would spend time with you every day and let you change us. Nobody can spend time in your presence and not be changed. Lord, that's really what we want, for you to change us and change our lives. Lord, grow us into the church you want us to be. Father, I pray your blessings on each and every one of us. For this one that has come to Christ, I pray your blessings on them. Pray your guidance on them. We thank you, Father, in Jesus' name.